Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Author, music teacher and Hong Kong history researcher Patricia O'Sullivan came over to Hong Kong for a few weeks from her home in England. She was recently on Hong Kong Heritage when she gave me a tour around Taekwun, the old central police station complex, and told me about women prisoners, which she's written about in her book, Women, Crime and the Courts. She's also written about the many Irishmen who came here to join the Hong Kong police force from the mid-19th century. She has a real connection to Hong Kong. Her great-uncle, Mert, or Mortimer O'Sullivan, was a detective inspector here, and he was shot dead in what became known as the Gresson Street Affray, when five officers and a child were killed in a gang shootout on January the 22nd, 1918, so 105 years ago. A few weeks ago, I played a short feature about that incident. Here, I talk with Patricia down at modern-day Gresson Street in Wan Chai as she takes me through what happened that awful day. Mortimer O'Sullivan's great-niece is Patricia O'Sullivan and I've just met you Patricia here at the entrance to Gresson Street and across the way you're saying that was the original harbour just across the road where the trams are here. Yeah this is this is the prior the shoreline basically and the wall is just the other side of the road in the line of the the building of both the Chinese Methodist Church and the 7-Eleven then from there you're looking directly over to Kowloon and there's nothing of any height. And you look at Kowloon and you're only looking at, you know, in the distance, a few go-downs, a few warehouses. And you can see the hills behind of Kowloon. So it's really quite remarkable to remember what the skyline was and how it is now very different. Oh, yeah. So here, would have, the police would have come along on the tram in order to find out what was going on at number six, Gresson Street. But can you tell me what warnings had they had ahead? So what kind of police day was it? Well, there had been various incidents. There had been a lot of robberies, armed robberies, going on in the couple of months beforehand. And just over a week before that, a European sergeant was found murdered, just lying in the street near here. There had been a big armed raid on a lime merchant's property nearby. And from there, information had come to the police that the gang responsible had holed up, or rather their centre of operations, were in 6 Gresson Street, which is where they expected to find the booty and... Um, so how do you think they found out that the gang was there? Somebody had tipped off? Some, somebody had tipped off. Somebody had seen something. Somebody knew something. So it might have been the detectives, the Chinese detectives in, in number two station who'd kept their ears open and, and heard this little nugget of information. I suppose all the police would have had informants. Yeah, they? absolutely. And, and it could just be just ordinary proper police detective work. We're down Gresson Street here, where normally the shops would be open. Uh, we're quite early today. Gresson Street at that time, what would, uh, was it residential? It was a mixture of residential. So it doesn't have the, the market stalls that we have now in the middle of it. So all the lower floors would be shops, 
they were shop houses as they were known so most of them would have been commercial properties but above it was entirely residential they were three-story some just about into four stories but it's only the very beginning of building up to that level so they are generally stone constructed up to the first floor height and thereafter it's it's often wooden as far as we know we've got this robbery gang hold up at number six gresson street 22nd of january 1918 what day of the week is it it's a tuesday O'Sullivan has already instructed his chief Chinese detective to get a men off at the right stop. They're, they're up here. Sun Tai, that detective, has started posting the men. So he's sent one down the little back alley that we're oh, just down starting. here. Yeah, we're just. The gang would have been in here. That's right. It runs the length. Well, they didn't know it was the gang in there. They right. knew that that's where their headquarters were. So they right. weren't necessarily expecting to find the gang themselves, but they were certainly expecting. They came with a search warrant, you see, not an, a warrant to arrest. I see. So they're only just making, on that awful morning, they're only actually making investigations. So, and, you know, you've got some real family links to this amongst those. I mean, your grandfather was a senior officer, your great-uncle Mortimer O'Sullivan was also a senior officer. Were both your grandfather and your great-uncle, did they both come down to Gresson Street? No, my grandfather was then based in number seven station over in the western part near, near to Taiping Shan as it was then. But your great-uncle was? Yeah. yeah, that's right. He was a detective. My grandfather wasn't a detective. Ah. He was a, a, a uniformed inspector, a senior uniformed inspector. And Mortimer was the, the Mert, as we call him, was the detective. So in January 1918, of course, internationally, there's still the First World War going on. But here in Wan Chai, there's about to be a horrendous shootout. And what happens on that morning, though, is, as you say, the police aren't particularly aware that that level of a danger is awaiting them. So they've had a bit of a warning that they might need to come in with a search warrant. So they actually come here just on the tram that's just along here, Johnston Road. Sometimes the chief Chinese detective has instructed his men all to take revolvers with them, but he hasn't actually checked whether they do. O'Sullivan and Goscombe Clark, the, the other European, are simply armed with walking sticks. And now that might seem ter terribly cavalier, but really the level of crime, of violent crime, wasn't such that a policeman would automatically carry a gun. Especially the Europeans would, by nature of the authority they had, just as European senior policemen would not expect and would, would not be threatened. Mortimer O'Sullivan and Goscombe Clark, as you say, the senior European officers are just armed with canes. Four officers did have guns on them. We've got a quiet morning here, perhaps a bit similar. So what were they doing, just fanning out? I reckon that they came out up the road, sort of probably single file, keeping quite close to the wall on the left-hand side. And quite soon you arrive at number six. Number six is a shop house, and I think that it shares a stairwell with number eight. OK, so we're actually standing in front of six where all the action happened now. We can't really see very much of what this was originally well, the like. Now. It's a restaurant now. Yeah. It's a restaurant. But if we go just to the next number number four and number two we can actually see the shared stairwell and i suspect this is really uh, yes it's all been rebuilt but it is all in the same location so there's a metal gate a metal door and pretty vertiginous stairs leading up as it would have been so the police then fan out 
as I say, one's around the back, a couple are stationed at the front. So these are the officers, yeah. These are the uh, Chinese detectives, Chinese constables. Gosman Clark takes two constables up to the second floor of the building. This is just a three-storey building. And the guys who are stationed on the ground floor will be sort of watching out for the shop. But there's there's no suggestion that there's anything amiss with the shop owner, who is, I think, a furniture merchant. O'Sullivan and Suntai and a few constables go up to the first floor. One of the constables, Gung Kwai, is told to check the kitchen and O'Sullivan and Sun Tai and Gung Sang make their way down to the back cubicle. And can they hear anything at this point? Well, there are a number of people in, in there. There's a, a little girl sitting on a, a bed and there's a couple of women and there's an old man smoking an opium pipe. But I don't think they heard anything from the, the back cubicle, although there were a number of men in there. But there wasn't a, an eerie silence or anything like that, as, as far as one can tell. Trouble is, we only have the evidence of one policeman for this point, of Suntai himself. Because he survived. He survived, yeah, yeah. So, in they go, look round, yeah, they tell the men to stand up who are in there. So you've got a situation where they've passed, you know, you're going down a corridor, they've Mm -hmm. passed a little girl, the man with the opium Mm -hmm. pipe, a couple of women... And they walk into the room. And these men are just on a couple of beds? Or? Yeah, they're, they're sort of lounging around. Apparently, almost, one could say, waiting. Waiting for the police. And you know, there is a suggestion that this is a, a trap. So the men are told to stand up, which they do without complaint. Everything goes very calmly. Suntai and Bung Sam search the men. They're told... So nobody's drawn a weapon at this point? No, the police no, aren't doing no, this at... No, they're just searching. No, no, it's not done at gunpoint or anything like that. Only um, Suntai and Kwong San have weapons on them. They're both in the holsters still. The men are told to come along to account for themselves. I assume that at some point would be a search of the room because there's no mention of that, but that will probably happen when they've handcuffed and got these three men out. So the men stand up, they ask if they can take their coats. The coats are searched and then given to them. All is fine. There's no guns, no weapons found. And then when the three men are standing up and there's another man has come in, Gosman Clark has searched the, the upper floor. He's left a couple of constables there. There's only a, there's a number of women and children. He's come down to the, this cubicle, followed swiftly by another one of the gang. There is a sudden lurch to a box that is on the bed. I suspect the box must have been covered because it apparently hadn't attracted any attention until the point at which the men go for it. The box contains a vast quantity, a vast arsenal of weapons, both both revolvers and ammunition. So everything's been quiet until that point? Everything's been not, not a problem. Yeah, cooperating, yeah. Yes, officer, you're right, officer. Yeah, we'll come with you, officer, sort of thing, yeah. And then oh, suddenly... And then the men are armed and start firing instantly. Even with the superior height, yeah. I mean, Mert was six foot two. So Mert is uh, Mortimer O'Sullivan, your great uncle. Yeah, Yeah. that's right, yeah. Mert is the the family abbreviation for Mortimer. Mert's six foot two. Gosman Clark, I I think, is probably in in the six foot order. You know, they're they're big blokes. So even with their superior heights, weight, they can't overpower these men sufficient to control them all getting access to these weapons, which are very quickly passed around, and they are used straight away. Suddenly you've gone from just a a search to a a very deadly situation. Yeah, 
because it's a very small cubicle. The men have got you know, a revolver in each hand, basically, and they just start firing. So what happened to the officers? Well, Gerskin Clark fell first. O'Sullivan fell on top of him. I mean, literally, there's no space for anything else. Kwong San was injured. He rolled himself under the bed. Yeah, poor man. He's shot yeah. in the abdomen, yeah. and uh, he just tries to scramble under the bed, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, Absolutely terrifying. Sun Tai, at this point, is, had been instructed to get the handcuffs. So he's just come back. He comes back into this. He can't even get his revolver out. His, his holster is stuck, and he can't get it out quickly. And he's shot in the arm, and tumbles down the stairs, really, out as quick as he can. But at least by then, the, the people downstairs are starting to get... Well, they would have heard this complete cacophony anyway. Yeah. Henry Goscombe Clark, a detective sergeant, he's the first to go down, followed by your great-uncle, Mortimer O'Sullivan. He was also a detective sergeant. He's a detective inspector. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they're both dead on the floor. Yeah. Kwong San has rolled himself under the bed. And uh, down here, how many officers were there? Well, there were f three or four at this stage. What we have is a situation where no one knows what is happening. So the officers on the top floor don't dare move because they, they don't know what the situation is. I, I think they weren't armed. I'm not sure. I really suspect they weren't. In the kitchen, where uh, Gonkui is still guarding it, he is trying to work out what to do, how to get out. He pokes his head out and sees what's happened and thinks, my God, I can't do anything in this situation. So he starts to climb down out of the window from the first floor. The gang hear him and lean out of the window in the cubicle and fire at him as he's climbing down. And he's dead by the time he hits the ground. Here at 6 Gresson Street, you have this suddenly this gang erupting, grabbing revolvers, shooting police officers, and all of this terrible action taking place. Meanwhile, there's also, there's alarms going off, isn't there, in the terms of there's police on their whistles. I think one runs down to phone in. Yes, there is all, all sorts of things happening. The trouble is, the Chinese detectives weren't given the authority to act on their own initiative too much. I mean, they can, they can try to get help, but they have to wait to be told because they haven't been trained at this stage to actually take the initiative and, and know what to do. That comes later. But they've lost both of the senior, senior European officers. officers. Yeah. yeah. So the, the first sort of intimation of the, that there is something wrong, really, because there's a sort of mayhem on the street. One of the gang have run down the street, but he's been pursued by Sun Tai, who by then has got his revolver out, and he has run towards the trams on the prior, on the shoreline, and he's been shot, and he's on the ground. Inspector Sim, who's in charge of number two station down in Wan Chai, is just coming back on the tram. He's just been attending the magistracy up in Abutment Road, and he sees this man lying on the ground, and so nips off the tram to investigate, and then is the, uh, the Chinese constables try to fill him in about what's happening. He then gets onto the phone. Just at the bottom of Gresson Street, opposite the harbour, there's the Siemens Hospital, and he can go in there and use the phone. There's not many phones at this time, you see. No, of course not. Yeah. There are police phone boxes, but there's not a lot of them. So it's a matter of the police have to know where the, where the various phones are. Phones up to central headquarters, but it's engaged. I mean, there is one line. Oh, no. Yeah. So he has to wait to try again. To, yeah. oh. well, so and so, get off the line, please. <laughs> yeah, That's you can incredible. imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, stress. Yeah. And he comes back and starts taking charge. 
and starts organising the situation. But is the gang still holed up in there? There are a number of them, but we don't know exactly when they come out. They do, and then Inspector Sim of the One Tri Station sees some of them coming out, and then there's a running gun battle. So, really, they come out down the stairs, they tumble down the stairs, and then straight down the little alley that's just behind us, down into Lundfat Street, and then onto Queen's Road. So you've got a running gun battle going on now, and, and what time of the morning is it? It's about, about quarter past 11 or so uh, at this point. So Gresson Street is, is reasonably quiet, but the people are, are crowding around. What, what on earth has happened? They've heard all of this this noise. You... Oh, I don't know that I'd be crowding around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I suppose it's curiosity. Yeah, it is it? curiosity. Yeah. What's, what's going on? What's happening? Police and and a reserve police are, are turning out from everywhere. There's starting to be a police presence here. The gang are pursued up Lundfat Street onto Queen's Road, and they're pursued by, by Sim. Sim, at this time, is about a 40-year-old man, so he's, he's, he's having to keep himself fairly fit. There's a lot of running to do. Well, I think adrenaline would help with that. Yeah, it would. Queen's Road, as I say, is quite crowded, so he's very cautious about shooting. Yeah. The gang are not cautious about shooting, but mercifully, in Queen's Road itself, they don't actually hit anybody. And then they start going up ships street and here it's a bit quieter they do turn on sim again try to try to fire at him actually catch a little child who's sitting out oh. on the doorstep and run up is he on his own i mean i've got a situation where inspector sim is running like mad so you've got the carnage here at gresson street just up here you've got queen's road east so the gang has turned into that they're fleeing as you'd say, they're not worried at all who they're hitting. They're just firing indiscriminately. Inspector Sim is, is following him with others. Yep, with others. A, a couple of Indian, Indian constables have joined him. He's told them to, to follow on. And remember, this gang have an enormous arsenal of weapons on them. They have guns tied to their wrists when they climbed out down the back to get out. Yeah, they're all on lanyards, aren't they, yeah. their revolvers? Yeah, and you know, they had a, a, a revolver between their teeth. They're climbing down so you can use their hands to climb. They're not short of ammunition either, so obviously they're reloading as they go. And they start going up Ship Street. By this time, I mean, Sim has had to sort of bow out of the pursuit. The two Indian constables, uh, Mula Singh and Tana Singh, are running hell for leather up the street and following them in and the gang are going in and out of buildings and they go into a brothel and out the other end and it's in the backyard of the brothel that there's a confrontation between the, the two Indian police and the gang. And at that point, Tana Singh is severely injured. Mula Singh is mortally injured. Oh, gosh, it goes on and on. It does, it does. The, the gang leader, as is reckoned to be, has sheared off from, from the others. And he has actually gone up through St Francis Passage and a dockyard police sergeant. Remember at this time, there's, there's a naval dockyard police force. And so a dockyard police sergeant who has been on night duty is woken up by the gunfire. He lives in the house there with his wife. He calls down to his wife to see if she can see what's happening. So she goes and stands at the door. So Henry Marriott pulled on his trousers and got his revolver, leant out of the window, basically with his bedroom window, and started to try to find them to take shots at them. At that point, the gang leader sees the woman and she, he starts firing at her. She very bravely holds her stand and keeps on calling up to her husband where this man is. Mm. And 
when he, the man starts to climb over the convent wall, up there is St Francis Hospital, which is run by the, the nuns, he climbs over the convent wall, he's actually on the convent wall, and Marriott manages to hit him, and he's, he's killed, he's brought down. And that was the gang leader? Yeah. Incredible. So there's this incredible pursuit going on on the 22nd of January 1918. It's reported in two newspapers in the evening press. It's massive news here. And, and as you say, violent crime isn't major at that time. There had been these robberies going on. There had been a European officer found dead a few days before, but this was incredibly unusual. Now, do we know how that gang came to have all of these guns? Yes, we do really. Well, we, I believe that we do because one of the thefts that had, I, I think, had not been reported at the time of Crescent Street, but was very shortly after, was on the military barracks up in Kennedy Road area, and a lot of armoury had been taken from that. So probably some of that was from there. But really, there were a lot of arms going around. These men had come down. We suspect from northern China. It was very easy to get hold of a weapon, or, or six or ten. The death toll, as I understand it, at the end of what became known as the Gresson Street affray or the Gresson Street incident, was five police officers and one child, but a gang leader also. The gang leader died, uh, and uh, certainly another one of the the, the gang died um, in hospital later on. He was. Uh, the, the, the man who'd been hit on the road. There's also, I suspect, uh, another casualty. The man who owned the shop at the bottom of, of number six Gresson Street, he had been shot quite badly. Oh, poor man. And the, the newspapers say you know, that hopes are not held out for his recovery. Mm. I haven't seen any reports that he died, but he, I mean, he was taken to hospital, obviously, and, mm. and treated. It's interesting to see what happens with the gang. Now we've got the two brothers, and Ming is the, the gang leader. He's shot dead just by St. Francis' convent. We've got Ling, who uh, is, is injured, shot and injured here. He's the, he ends up in hospital. That's right. He's the one that uh, Inspector Sim has seen, and you know, by, by seeing him, everything has been alerted. In Ling goes to hospital. He spends quite a long time in hospital. It is eventually brought to court. He's actually already wanted by the police for another crime in Kowloon, but it's the more serious charge of being involved in the murders here. He is tried for. At that trial, Sun Tai, who is the only witness to the action, is, was so desperate, really, to at least get somebody convicted for it that he unfortunately changed his, his story mm. between first statements the magistracy and the supreme court and that negated the whole trial so ling had to be freed well i say freed he was held then held on the other charge for which he was deported he was sent back over to mainland china where he was wanted for serious murder crimes uh, and the like and he was almost instantly beheaded by the chinese authorities so that was the what do you i mean you know it's interesting because your great uncle was involved in it and i say historically i've read 
that initially it's called the Gresson Street Affray. What do you call it? Yeah, the Gresson Street Affray, yeah. yes. The fact that Mortimer O'Sullivan's grave is in the Catholic cemetery and the fact that, that it was your great-uncle, this did lead you to coming to Hong Kong to research the, the, the Hong Kong history that you have done. But from a family perspective, the fact that your great-uncle is shot dead and was a police officer here, do you have feelings on that? Yeah, I do, because it does... It does tie me very much to the place. I mean, yes, a lot of my a lot of my relatives were serving officers, police officers here. But Mert Mortimer O'Sullivan, he actually even looks very much like my father, who was also Mortimer, and he, my father was named after him. So you know, we, yes, it's it ties us. It ties us. It ties me. And did, uh, I mean, Mortimer O'Sullivan, I mean, you also, when, when you have a situation like this with the number of officers killed, that, that obviously will mean wives and children. Indeed. Mortimer O'Sullivan had a wife and two young daughters. And I, mean, I think one of the joys of this for me is I've actually been able to find the relatives of the descendants of those daughters. One of the daughters died not very, very long ago, in fact, and yeah, been able to give them a lot of information as well. And it is a joy to, to actually be in that position of filling in the questions that people have. I mean, my whole mission here started because my aunt, who was Patrick O'Sullivan's daughter, you know, wanted to know what happened to her Uncle Mert. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> my thanks to author and history researcher Patricia O'Sullivan, talking there on her great-uncle Mert, or Mortimer O'Sullivan, one of the police officers killed in the Gresson Street affray in January 1918. Patricia has written on police history here and is the author of Women, Crime and the Courts, Hong Kong, 1841 to 1941. The Hong Kong International Literary Festival is on and this afternoon at 5pm, David Bellis, the founder of the Hong Kong history website, guulo.com, will be talking about the stories behind Hong Kong photos. Well, of course, there will be rat bins. Yay, rat bins! <laughs> <laughs> I do love the rat bins. Did you live in the wrong era, David? <laughs> I'm quite glad we don't have rat bins, because <laughs> when there were rat bins, there was plague. So you've got rat bins, definitely. So have you got any surprises? Can you give me one? One of the photos we have, it was originally a couple of postcards, and when I saw them come up on eBay, I thought, you know, if I get those two, I'm sure they're going to join up. And it, and it did, so it makes this fantastic panorama. And when you look at it, say, on, on a... A mobile phone it's such a, a tiddly little photo but you can just zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and you you end up on the junction of Pedder Street and uh, Devoe Road and it was the old King Edward Hotel and they'd had a fire so when we see it it's covered in scaffolding but it's missing a roof and that's the clue which lets us date the photo so the fire in 1929 and the reopening in in 31 so that pins it down to 1930 and then there's a lovely uh, link. Remember Barbara Anslow, we've, we've talked about several times before. Um, when I showed this photo on the website, she got in touch. And so for me, I was writing about what I thought was history. And Barbara says, oh, I remember that. We were all in school on that day. So she was uh, she's about 10 at the time. And at lunchtime, we all dashed down the hill. She was in the, the garrison school in the, the old Victoria barracks. Dashed down the hill. But when we got there, there was only hoses in the in the streets because we were hoping to see some corpses. I thought, oh, that's, <laughs> that's about right for when you're 10, you know, bring on the gore. Are you still getting some good value out of places like eBay? Yes, I've just had a little spell of ordering some new photos and there'll be some interesting new stories there. <laughs> 
the one I'm on the lookout for, and I haven't found yet, is, is eye scraping. So I, I started off with the street barber. I've got, you know, tick that box. And then we've uh, just moved on to ear cleaning. That was a recent addition to the website. And then the, the third of the, the street services you could get. And, and the customers swore by it. They said you could see more, you know, your, your eyesight was sharper and you felt great. And, and they'd scrape the inside of your eyelids. It sounds horrific to me. Oh, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm on the lookout for a, a photo of that. Oh. <laughs> Eye scraping. That's a new one. Mm. <laughs> Where can we find your talk? We're going to be in uh, Seungwan in Soho House. If uh, listeners are interested, we've still got a few tickets left. So you can go on to the Hong Kong Literary Festival website and uh, order your tickets there. If you go on the Hong Kong International Literary Festival website, that's David Bellis, obviously the founder of the Hong Kong history website, grulo.com. So you can go and see him at Soho House at five today and uh, perhaps see new things, perhaps not as gross as ice scraping, but a few others. <laughs> Thanks so much, David. Thanks, Ben. Bye. David Bellis there. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage 101.3.